So we're starting a new series. Uh, essentially, the premise of this series is, is that our lives uh, are an accumulation of the decisions that we've made. That, that uh, who you are today is as a result of, of what you decided to do yesterday, right? Like if yesterday I decided not to work out, right, to skip my workout and, and eat a lot of pasta, what I'm feeling today is, is bloated, right? Like we are a result of the decisions that we've made yesterday. And what we want to talk about is what would our lives look like in 30 years, let's say, if we became experts at making those decisions? Like, what would our lives look like in 30 years if we decided that we were going to, to make wise decisions today so that we could reach the goal that we have tomorrow? And if there's anything that sticks with you today, I want it to be this phrase. The decisions that you make today determine the story that you tell tomorrow. Like nobody wakes up and all of a sudden they have the perfect marriage and nobody just wakes up and their kids have turned out how they want to, right? <laughs> Anybody else there? A lot of times you wake up and it's the opposite. And so uh, nobody wakes up and, and, and their kids in 30 years are going to say about them what they want to have been told about them as, as, as how they acted as a parent. Nobody wakes up and has financial success Overnight, And so many times we, we see people's stories in the news and, and in the headlines, and we just assume that they became overnight successes. Like they made maybe one or two really big decisions that got them where they are. And I want us to understand from the beginning of what I'm going to talk about today that there is no such thing as an overnight success. Like I was reading online, there's a, there's a few stories about people that, that have found success and, and people will say it was overnight and they'll say, no, it wasn't. For example, uh, there's a man named James Dyson. He created the, the Dyson vacuum, if you're familiar, you know, the yellow ball that goes around. And so uh, they interviewed him and they said, wow, you're worth $5.1 billion. How did you get here? And he said, well, many people assume uh, that I just kind of woke up one day and was like, hey, I'm going to create a, a vacuum and, and then I'm going to sell it, right? He said, no, I had 5000 126 prototypes that did not even work. It wasn't until his 5,127th version that he found a vacuum that would eventually become what is Dyson. In fact, these are his words. He says, by the time I made the 15th prototype, my third child was born. 15. 15. Mind you, he does 5,000. It says, by 2,627, my wife and I were really counting our pennies. By 3,027, my wife was giving art lessons for extra, extra cash. By 4,500, we had almost declared bankruptcy. That there is no such thing as overnight success. And, and James, James Dyson would say, listen, it was as a result of every day making the decision. This is number prototype. I can imagine him recording himself. All right, prototype number 563, right? And he's like, please, my wife is really tired of these vacuums all over the house. Just work. And then you know, it, it just doesn't. And there's, there's a, uh, an app company named uh, Rovio. If you're not familiar, they created uh, an app called Angry Birds. It's this little app, you know, obscure. Um, just made like $250 million last year, and there's a major motion picture. That was the 52nd time that they had attempted to, to release that app. Like overnight success, it's not a thing. And if you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with divine direction? Well, the truth is that Many of us in this room, we would believe that God has called us to something in our future. He's called us to be great parents. He's called us to be great leaders. He's called us to accomplish something great here in, in 2017. He's called us to, to change the world. And I think 
we often assume, even maybe with Journey Church, that we got where we are because of a few big decisions. And the truth is, and you can ask Steve and you can ask anybody there from the early days, that the reason Journey Church is still here is because every day they decided, all right, this is number 567, you know, Sunday. We're going to go to church today, right? Like, I'm not skipping. I'm actually, I know I have to preach, but I, I want to skip. And so it's all about, it's all about daily decisions. In fact, I would say that our divine direction is determined by daily, daily decisions. So today we're going to look at a man in the Bible. His name is Daniel. Uh, and we're going to be, uh, listen, you don't know anything about Daniel maybe. Daniel has unbelievable discipline, right? Like this week uh, I started following uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson on Instagram. Anybody? Yeah. That dude has insane discipline. You can say he's on whatever you want, but he eats like the craziest diet. It's like six different types of fish every morning and like more power to you. I'm not down with all that fish. And he's, he's in the gym at four every morning. He's go like, this is, this is, is Dwayne the Rock Johnson of that time. Like he, he has unbelievable discipline and we're going to watch how God turns him into one of the most powerful men in the world in history at that time and how he throws it all away. You can view it in that way because he wanted to follow God because he was following a divine direction instead of an ordinary direction. And so if you don't know anything about the Bible, the Bible is essentially a collection of books. It's uh, men and women who, who were inspired by God to write about what God had done in their life. It's 66 books, in fact. Uh, the first half talks about Israel. It talks about the people of God and really God sort of putting up with and trying to help the people of Israel, right? And the second half it talks about Jesus. And so today we're going to be in the first half, the Old Testament, and we're going to be reading a book uh, that Daniel actually writes about his life. Uh, and we're going to see just what exactly uh, he learned to develop early on so that he could have the life that changed the world afterwards. If you don't know anything about Daniel, Daniel is not, uh, he's not had a good life, really. Da Daniel uh, was, was, you know, just kind of relaxing, you know, age 1 to, to 12, 11, whatever, living in his hometown. He's in Judah. He's got friends. He's got family. All of a sudden, uh, the Babylonian Empire comes in, and, and they actually end up wiping out Jerusalem. They end up wiping out Judah and bringing people, uh, whoever they didn't kill, they brought back as captives to their land. And Daniel is, is one of those captives. So Daniel is 12, 13, maybe you're in here and you're 12 or 13 years old. Imagine this, <laughs> right? You get kidnapped all of a sudden. You get sent to a foreign land, and, and all of a sudden you work for people uh, that you don't know before. Maybe you're separated from your family, and this is where we find Daniel. He's a young man. He's put into uh, unbelievable circumstances, and it says that over time, he becomes one of the most powerful men in the world. It says that actually in, in the Bible, by the specific words, it says that because of his excellence, Daniel gets recruited, and he gets promoted, and he gets promoted, and he gets promoted. And in our story, we find that he is actually second in command to the king at that time. So let's read together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel. We're in the sixth chapter of his book, and we're going to be starting in verse 6. It says this. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king, and they said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except for you should be thrown into the lion's den. All right, so maybe you don't know anything about Daniel, but that's starting to sound familiar, right? Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. It says, now your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so it can't be altered. 
So King Darius, he, he puts the decree in writing. Essentially, King Darius is in, in charge of the entirety of the, the Persian Empire, and he decides, I'm not going to be enough to be able to rule over all these people. So he, es- he establishes a government, right? He, he, he establishes 120 what we might consider uh, to be present-day state governors, right? There's 120 of them. And then there's three people who are in charge of all of those 120, right? They're even more powerful. Daniel is one of them. And it says that everybody but Daniel goes behind Daniel's back to the king and says, hey, you should make there, there, there be a law where if anybody worships anybody except for you, they get thrown in the lion's den because you're so great. Meanwhile, they know that, that Daniel, he still follows his God from back in Judah, from his, from his youth. He still knows that, that he prays. And listen, it says this in verse 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where his windows open towards Jerusalem, right? So he's not, he's not doing it in, in, in hiding. He opens his windows. It says three times a day, he still, he gets down on his knees and prays and gives thanks to God just as he had done before. Another version, uh, New King James Version, reads like this. He prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. So how do, if I were to look at Daniel and I were to say, man, I want to be even half the man that Daniel is so that I could one day say that I'd be willing to stand up to the most powerful man in all the, the world at that time because I'm so dedicated to the divine direction that God has for me. What would I have to do today so that I would be able to say that of myself later? Like Daniel does not just wake up one day and he's the type of person who's willing to stand up to the king. And so we're going to look at three uh, steps to starting in the right direction. That if we're going to start something to move towards divine direction, that there's going to be some steps I believe we're going to have to learn to take. And the first one is this. We're going to become people who determine our destiny. In other words, sometimes I think in our, in our culture, we, we get swept up in this idea that just our fate is sort of decided for us. Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen, right? And everything that happens, it happens for a reason. And all these popular phrases that are floating out there. And what I would say is maybe counter to that, that instead we're going to become people who decide ahead of time that is what my life is going to look like. For example, I found, I found God sort of leading me towards questions th- this week, and, and maybe you would ask them of yourself uh, and we could just get honest today. Maybe you're in Plymouth Meeting or Limerick. You're in Royersford. You're here with me. Uh, we're going to ask questions like this. What do we want our marriage to look like in 30 years? Or, or what do we want the end of our parenting story to look like? What do we want our kids to say about us in 30 years in terms of how we were as, as, as parents? What do we want our coworkers to say about us when we leave our position or, or, or when we retire? What do we want to be said of us at our funeral? And so, as it always goes when, when you preach, you get the uh, fun uh, luxury of learning all these lessons all in one week. And so, I felt like God was saying, well, you better answer those questions for yourself. And so, uh, just to kind of give you guys an idea of, of what this looks like for me, uh, what do I want my marriage to look like in 30 years? Well, I wrote down, I want to be with the same woman. I want to be grown in our faith with each decade. I want to be capable of handling any situation that's thrown at us. In 30 years, when I look at my marriage, I want us to be the couple that God trusts with his, his most difficult assignments. I want to be people who jump off the cliff and we pray on the way down. What do you want the end of your, your parenting story to look like? I want my kids to remember me spending time with them and investing in them. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I'm not naturally prone to considering quality time a currency. I'm very much 
work driven. And so I have to become someone different if I'm going to have that story in 30 years. What do you want your coworkers to say about you in 30 years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Listen, I want my coworkers to say I did anything it took to get people to Jesus. That's it. Maybe I'm not even going to be known as the best team player in the world, or I'm going to be known as the most talented in the world. I want people to, to, to look at me one day after having worked with me closely and to be able to say with all honesty that I would do whatever it took, if it was cleaning toilets, if it was cleaning out a closet, if it was preaching, if it was doing whatever, I was willing to do whatever it took to get people close to Jesus. What do I want people to say about me at my funeral? I want people to say my life was about Jesus. That's it. I don't care if they think I had a great house. I don't care if they think I was successful. I don't care if I had all the material possessions in the world. I want one thing to be said about me. And as you're asking yourself these questions, uh, maybe this week you would begin to write things down for yourself because here's the truth. If you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. We have a joke, my wife and I, uh, if you don't know anything about me, I'm not great with directions to each of their own. We all have talents. And so directions is not one of mine. And so when you pull out of my driveway, you can either go towards uh, a highway or you can go towards back roads. And uh, if you go the wrong way, you're pretty much five minutes out of your way if, you're, if you intended to go the opposite direction. And so here's kind of how it goes in, in my house. I really like being early for things. And so as soon as we get in the car, I hit the pedal, right? Like just <laughs> I'm going to guess. I don't know which one it is. I'm going to guess. And my wife and I were both we're all not great with directions, so we use the GPS for everything, right? And inevitably, 100% of the time, I guess wrong. Like, it's almost like a joke at this point. Like, I, I almost, I think, I should go left, so I'm going to go right, right? Like, I'm going to trick this weird rule that's going on. I'm going I'm to end up in the right direction every single time. And my wife will say, why don't you wait until I have the GPS? And I'll say, why don't you pull the GPS up sooner? And she'll say, well, I was getting Ellie dressed. And I'll say, well, listen, woman, we got to get there on time. It ends with me going, I'm sorry, right? Like, you know, you know how that story plays out. But the truth is, if I don't know where I'm going, I'm not going to get there. Like, I can't just guess out of my driveway and end up the right way. It doesn't work out like that. You don't just wake up one day and you have the marriage that you want. You don't just wake up one day and you have the financial success. Listen, you don't just wake up one day and have the body that you want. Now I got somebody's attention, right? It's beach season. Everybody's going to the gym. It's weird. Nobody's been there the past four months, but it's, I can't find one machine now anymore. And if you don't know where you're going, here's what I want us to be. I want us to be people that don't only consider where we believe God is calling us. Listen, we need to become people who, who consider what we are currently earning. What is the future that I am, I am currently earning? Ask yourself questions like this. What will my end look like if... I keep eating, and, and, and I do not begin to exercise and take care of the body that, that God has given me. Some of us don't realize that the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that it says that now he resides in us instead, and we have decided to make the temple of the Holy Spirit one that is very, very unhealthy and ineffective. Like, what type of people will we be if we keep spending you, credit card, credit card, credit card with no end in sight? What will our life look like in 30 years if... If you work late every night and you don't see your kids. What's your life going to look like if you don't put your phone down and look at your spouse in the eyes? Sometimes my wife will just look at me for like 10 minutes and I will be on my phone. And she will say, do you know you have stared at that piece of metal for 10 minutes? I'm right over here. Hey, 
we have a box now, right? It says, uh, it says like, uh, enjoy the small things, right? And we put our phones in it. It's, it's super helpful and incredibly difficult. David wrestles with this in, in Psalm 73, and, and I want to read it with you. He says this. He says, this is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They, they go on amassing wealth. He says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. But listen, all day long I've been afflicted. And every morning it brings new punishments for me. He says, if I had spoken like this, I would have betrayed your children. Because when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply until I got into the presence of God. Then I understood their end. See, what David is saying is, for a while, I thought that you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to on this life, and it didn't really affect anything. That I see people who live wickedly, they cheat at work, and they still end up successful, and nobody finds out. They cheat on their spouse, and nobody finds out. So what does it matter if I do the right thing? And David says, when I get into the presence of God, I recognize that God cannot be mocked, that I will reap what I sow, and their end is solidified. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, you want to have a terrible life? Do these things. So the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I did before, people like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, if you claim to follow Jesus in these rooms, you need to understand that you will not happen upon righteousness, you will not happen upon a godly life in 30 years, that we're going to become people who determine our destiny ahead of time. The second step is this, we need to learn to disregard the distance. Uh, When I was in high school, I ran cross country, and uh, people will ask me why, and the truth is because I hated myself. That that was a joke, yeah. Somebody in here runs, and they were like, amen. (laughs) No, I don't know how I ended up in cross-country. Literally, I had nothing to do, and and the guy came up to me and said, hey, you want to do this? And I said, sure, why not? Uh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and the coach told me this uh, on our first day. He said, you will learn quickly uh, that there is no difference between three miles and 15 miles. And I said, you are on crack cocaine. That is not true. There is a huge, there's 12 miles difference between three miles. Have you taken math class? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. After you've run three miles, it's all just pain from there. I'm like, well, I'm really glad I joined this. He said, no, you don't understand. After three miles, you've been doing it so long that you don't think about kind of what's coming ahead. You could run another mile, you could run another 10 miles, it wouldn't matter because what you're doing right now is dealing with the pain of right now. In fact, I thought he was a liar, right? I was like, no, I'm calling it. I'm calling it. That's not true. Then I went for a run one day, and as you know, I'm not great with directions. Uh, It was supposed to be a three-mile run, um, and all of a sudden, night fell, and uh, the coyotes began to howl, and I had no idea where I was. Uh, So so I called called somebody. I was like, can you please come pick me up? Um, I think I'm near, uh, it was one of my relatives' house. I think I'm near their house. I don't really know. Can you try to come find me? Um, and so uh, they ended up finding me, and I said, just out of curiosity, can you, can you just clock the miles on the way home with the car so I can see how far I run? I was thinking, man, I probably ran like five miles. I'm the champion. I'm going to go into the Olympics. And so it ended up being uh, just about 11 miles. 
And the truth was is that I had, I had just been running for so long uh, that I realized that my goal at the time, at every present moment, was simply to put one foot in front of the other. And if I thought about, man, I got another eight miles to run, can I just tell you, I would have stopped and sat down right there and been like, all right, come pick me up, right? I'm not running another eight miles. You are crazy. But the truth was that when I was in the midst of it, uh, focusing on, on the task in front of me drove me to be able to reach my, my goal. But if I had focused the entire time, listen, some of us, we really want to get in shape. We really want to exercise, right? But we look at where we are and we look at who we want to look like, right? Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I know I'm like a spitting image, right? And so we look at where we are and where we want to be and we get so discouraged by the distance in between them. Like, I can't possibly look like that person. I can't possibly get there. Do you realize how much distance there is between me and my goal? And the truth is that successful people have determined one and learned one crucial principle, and they do not let the distance between them and their goal keep them from ever starting. I love this. I love this truth that God has not called us to be perfect people. If God had called you to be a perfect person, Jesus would not have had to come and save your soul. Listen, God has called you to live a life that is free from, from the anxiety of becoming perfect so that you're able to live a life that becomes more like him. That, that Paul, he paints a picture in all of his letters. Paul was a missionary. He was a murderer. He turned into the world's greatest missionary. And in his letters, he paints a picture of God creating us to be more like him. You picture running a race. You picture running those 11 miles that he's not calling you to all of a sudden, as soon as you become saved, be 11 miles from here. He's calling you today to take one step and then to take another step and then to take the step after that. He says in Philippians 1, he says, I thank God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work, that's Jesus, he who began it will carry it to completion. That he is going to gradually make you more like him. And some of us, we've been called to a divine direction that God has called you. He's put a dream in your heart. He's put a passion to start a business. He's called you to be excellent parents and to raise your kids, not in the way that the culture has decided is appropriate, but instead in the culture of what God has, has deemed appropriate. And he's called you to be parents in that way. And you see the distance. and You say, I can't possibly cross it. And God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to take you there. Take that next step. Take the next step that he who began, that he's going to carry it to completion. Listen, I'm preaching today. Some of y'all need to wake up. He says this at the end of the chapter. He says, this is my prayer. That's your love. It may abound more and more. He, he's painting a picture that he is creating us to be more like him with passing time. I want to encourage you with this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah is another prophet who wrote uh, in the Old Testament similarly to Daniel. And he says this in the 40th chapter of his book. He says, do you not know and have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of the heavens, heavens and the earth. He says he will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Listen, some of you just thinking about the idea of starting in the right direction makes you feel weak in the knees. Can I give you encouragement that we serve a God that never gets weak, that he gives us power when we are feeling weak? In fact, listen to this. He says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and their sore 
on wings like eagles. Can I tell you how many cross-country races I would have run if I could soar on wings like eagles, right? I don't even have to run. He's gonna, it's almost a picture as if he's going to carry you from that point. It says that you will run and you'll learn not to grow weary. You'll walk and you will not be faint. That we serve a God who's taken us in a divine direction, but he's willing to teach us to endure the current circumstances. In fact, what I learned about cross-country was that the majority of it was, was, was all up here. That my body it had the capability, but my mind had to learn that I was capable of far more than I was willing to say of myself at the beginning. That all of a sudden I began to run further and further distances. And when, when people were, were taking you know, shortcuts through the forest behind my neighborhood, that I was going to run the rest of it. Why? Because I was becoming somebody who had become better at running and better at training his mind to be able to be capable of things that he didn't think he was capable of. And can I tell you, that is what God does in our lives. Listen, I can, remember, I can remember being a teenager and growing up and looking at people that I admired and just thinking, I will never be like them. I, I could never get there. Like, they had the life that I wanted. They were godly men and women in the church. They were leading their family well. They were doing all these things. And I thought, man, I remember sinking into, into a depression, feeling anxiety, and being like, I will never, I will never get there. And the truth is that the only way that I was able to, to overcome that is God began to teach my heart that you don't have to be them. You have to be you today and follow the first step. You have to be you today and you have to start because, listen, it's similarly to what Henry Ford said. If you believe you can or you can't, you're right. If you tell yourself, I'm never going to be that person, can I just tell you, you're never going to be that person. If God has called you to live a life that's free from financial debt and you tell yourself, I'm never going to be that person, can I just tell you, you will always suffer under the crushing weight of debt. But if instead you tell yourself, no, 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 today I'm going to decide to pack a brown paper bag lunch, right? Instead of Chipotle, I'm going to pack a brown paper. Some of you, you've been, you've been suffering under the weight of, of never being able to get your body in a healthy shape and you look at, at people that have it all together and you say, I'm never going to look like them. What if instead we said, you know what, today my calling is to be, is to be me, and instead of, of worrying about that today, I'm going to walk 10 minutes before work, and tomorrow I'm going to walk 10 minutes before work. I'm going to do one thing that's going to take me in the right direction because I'm going to start because if I continue to look at people who have it all together and assume that that is what I need to be right now, I'm never going to start. Final, final step to, to start moving in the right direction is to decide. You're going to pick one thing this week that's going to move you in the right direction. If you need to work on your faith, you're going to read your Bible for five minutes, or you're going, to, you're going to vocalize the prayers that you have bottled up in your head and your heart. You're going to join a home group. Listen, some of you, the idea of joining a group where you go and socialize with people sounds like hell. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Can I just Skype? Can I text in instead and pretend like I'm there? Some of you, that's what you need that God is telling you right now. Get in a home group. Get around people who have decided that their mission, that their life's goal is to follow Jesus. Can I tell you, if you get around them, you'll become more like them. Some of you, the financial stress that you've put on yourselves, the spending pace at which you live, you've decided I'm not going to live like that anymore. You're going to pick one thing. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pack lunches. You're going to start a financial planning course. Listen, here's a real easy way. Find somebody who's good with their money. Offer to buy them coffee and ask them how they got that money. 
going to pick one. Listen, can I tell you, as a pastor, there's nothing more frustrating than wanting something more for somebody than they want it for themselves. We've all been there before. I can't tell you how many conversations go on in my mind where, where I say things like, if they would just leave that relationship, they would have unending potential. If they could just get control of themselves, if they could learn to discipline themselves, then God could trust them more and he would be able to change the world with them if they could just get out of their own way. God would be able to absolutely flip the greater Philadelphia area over. But listen, my responsibility, Pastor Steve's responsibility, is not to make you change your life. It's just not. Because you know as well as I do, when you leave this room, there's going to be one person in charge of whether or not you're going to walk out your divine direction today. And that's you. You, you got to decide. Listen to what Jesus says in, in Matthew 7. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose the winds they blew and they beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock it says but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man he builds his house on sand and when the rain comes and and the streams rise and the winds blew and beat against that house it falls with a great crash and can I just tell you if you are tricking yourself into believing that the rains are not going to come and the winds are not going to blow and beat against that house then you are deceiving yourself because that's life but God has created us and called us I believe as a church somebody's watching in Plymouth meeting right now and God's beginning to, to do something in their heart I need to take a step in a divine direction somebody in Limerick is thinking about uh, that financial burden that they've had on themselves that they need to step out from under it because they can't tithe or they can't they can't do what they need to do to follow God because they're not willing to take the first step and getting into a position where they're able to do that that somebody uh, maybe in Royersford is, is is thinking man I'm in the wrong relationship right now and it is bringing me so much anxiety we're going to become people who who decide ahead of time. We're going to determine our destiny. This is where God has called me. We're going to disregard the distance. He's called me there, but I don't have to be there right now. And then we're going to decide and we're going to say, today, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to take the first step. And then there's some people in these rooms that this sounds super helpful and sounds practical and, you know, you don't have to follow Jesus for this to be something that can change your life. But maybe somebody in this room is, is listening to this and going, I understand that, but, but, but where does God play a role and, and what does God have anything to do with it? Can I just tell you that I would not be where I am today without Jesus? That it is not just by me deciding of my own goodwill to start things and do the right things. Can I tell you, I spent the large majority of my teenage years feeling depressed and anxious because I could not do it on my own. I came to Journey Church and I felt, I felt God all of a sudden begin to work in my heart that it was, it was not about doing all the right things. It was not about checking off the boxes. It was not about making sure that I was perfect or even that I seemed perfect to people, but it was about something much greater. Because the truth was, my anxiety and my depression, it was rooted in one thing, and that one thing was feeling like I was not good enough. That's what it is. If you wake up every day and you feel anxious, if you wake up every day and you struggle with depression, if you wake up every day and you take pain medication and you're not willing to admit it to people, the truth is you feel like you're not good enough. And can I give you some good news today? Ready? You're not. It took me realizing this for Jesus to be able to do something in my heart that I felt 
like I had to be good enough. And the truth was it was pride because I thought that I was going to be enough for me. I thought that I was going to be enough so, to sustain myself. And here's the truth. Maybe you don't know how you feel about God in Limerick. Maybe you're in, in Royersford and you don't really believe in Jesus. Or maybe you're, you're here in Plymouth meeting. You don't even know how you got to church today. That it would probably not take me long to, to convince you that if there is a God, if there is a good and a perfect God, that you and I, we do not deserve to be in relationship with him. Because if you were willing to be honest in this room, and maybe we could just have a moment of honesty today on a Sunday morning after Easter, that we've hurt people, we've made mistakes. It does not matter how good that you think that you are, that we cannot make up for them, that we have still betrayed that person's trust, that we still cheated on that person, that we still lied in that moment of crucial uh, where integrity was needed the most, that we still cheated on our taxes, that we still did those things. And what the Bible says is that we accrue a debt over time. It says that there is a good and a perfect God, that he's just, that maybe you don't believe in justice. I will tell you, you are lying because as soon as somebody takes your parking spot in Target, all of a sudden there is a God and you say, smite him, right? There is a God, and he has a good and a perfect law, and we do not measure up. But the good news, and the only reason that you're in the room that you're in, the only reason that there's people who showed up early today to park cars, and listen, all those people are volunteers. They did it of their own volition, and it's because of this simple truth I'm about to explain to you in a minute, that there is good news in the midst of bad news, that there is no good news without bad news, but the good news is that God had a backup plan, that he knew that you wouldn't be enough, and so he sent somebody who would. The Bible says his name was Jesus. It says that he lived as a man for 33 years on this earth. Think about that. We talk about him 2,000 years later. We measure time based off of the day that he died, that he has absolutely turned. Listen, you can deny who you think that Jesus is, but Jesus has been documented in secular history. He has absolutely turned the world upside down, that there were over 2,000 people who were crucified on a Roman cross, and we still only talk about one. The Bible says that God, he sent Jesus, and Jesus lived perfect life. The life that you and I, we could have never lived. The Bible says that he was sent to earth for one reason. He was sent here to take you and I's place. Because the truth is that if there is a good and a perfect God, I don't deserve to be with him. And, and the truth is that if there is a good and a perfect God, then he has wrath or more importantly or more accurately justice for those of us who have not measured up. And so there is a problem, and the Bible says that Jesus came to take that wrath. The Bible says, listen, the nights that you have spent feeling shame, the days that you have woken up regretting the things that you had done the night before, the decisions that you wish that you could take back. The Bible says that, that Jesus, he lived on this earth for 33 years, and at the end of his life, the religious, the church people, of that time. They were so mad at Jesus because he was he was living what the law was supposed to be and they thought they were perfect and they did not like him. It says they did not like him so much that they conspired to murder him, that they come in the middle of the night, that they arrest him, that they put him on trial. It says that we celebrated this last week. It says that Pilate even the governor of that time could find nothing wrong with Jesus. The secular historian of that time could find nothing wrong with Jesus. In fact, he tries to buy himself a way out. He takes the worst person he can find, a man named Barabbas, who was a murderer and a, and a conspirator at the time, and he puts Jesus and Barabbas in a room with, with a Colosseum, probably, of all of the Jews at that time, and he says, which one of these do you want to die? And they say, Jesus. 
unbelievable. It says Jesus, he had the power of God in all of that moment. It says that instead of wiping them out, listen, you know what you and I would have done. It says that he walks humbly to his death while he's being spat on, while he's being beaten, while he's being whipped, while he's having crowns of thorns shoved into his head. He's thinking about you and me. The Bible says that he died for all of humanity, that he wishes that not one would leave this life without knowing and accepting what he has done for them. And here's what the Bible says. The hope of Jesus Christ is that when I breathe my last on this earth, if I drop dead right here on this stage, the Bible says that I will be met with a good and a perfect God. And the truth is that I don't have to be afraid of him because the Bible says that because I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I believe that he did what he said he did, that he stands in front of me now. A good and perfect Jesus who lived the life I was supposed to live who took the wrath, who took, listen, my life should have ended like his did, full of shame, full of regret, full of not living up to my potential. I can't tell you how good it feels to know that. The Bible says that when I breathe my last, I'm met with a good and a perfect God, but Jesus, he's going he's gonna to stand in front of me. The Bible says I hide in the shadow of his grace. And the good news and the reason that Journey Church even exists is every Sunday we believe that this could be your last day on earth. We don't mean to be doomsday. We just recognize the reality of it. And all we want to do is give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. So at this